0: Right, if you would turn to Hebrews six, we'll finish up Hebrews six today. We've been in Hebrews for a while. I've said it once or twice, but Hebrews is basically a long sermon, a long written-out sermon, and one of the ways that we know it's, or one of the ways that it is, like a sermon is that it alternates between teaching and then application or exhortation. Teaching about who Jesus is and what he's done, and then application about what that means for your life. So here's who Jesus is, God in the flesh, bearer of a great salvation, and then here's what that means for your life. Here's how to live in light of that. And most of these applications or exhortations in Hebrews come in the way of warnings. We've seen this a number of times. There's a lot of warnings, and we're in the midst of a long warning right now. It seems that the original audience of this sermon uh, was tempted to give up, to go astray, to let go, to, to turn away from the hope and the promises that are in Jesus. And so the author isn't content merely to teach them things. He, he Again and again, he pauses to warn them, to hold fast, keep going. This is a great salvation. Jesus is God in the flesh. Don't give up. Keep going. Jesus is worth it. And so we're in the middle of one of these long warnings. The last two weeks may have been a little heavy-seeming. There was a call not to be slothful or sluggish, but earnest to grow up in the grace and knowledge of God. At no point in this life can we stop being attentive. We must always be on guard, always, always be diligent in demonstrating faith and faithfulness. So again, it may have seemed a bit heavy the last couple weeks. But in that, we always want to make absolutely clear that warnings like this, exhortations like this, are not about depending on ourselves, trusting in ourselves, doing it all ourselves, and moving away from the grace of God. The grace of God is something that we depend on both to save us and to sustain us. The grace of God is for both of our one-time justification that saves us and for our ongoing just sanctification the whole of the christian life all of that god does for us and in us and through us is dependent on his grace and is dependent on our continuing to cling to and hold on to his grace our our call is simply to grow up in grace to grow up in our experience of and our knowledge of god's grace in other words, we must keep our eyes more on God than ourselves. Our hope is in Him, always, not ourselves. And that's what this next section makes abundantly clear as we wrap up this, this warning. Um, so we're actually going to go back a couple verses just to get the context here. We're going to start in verse 11, Hebrews six eleven. We We did read these, last, these two verses last week, but we're going to start here to, to get into this. Says, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So, what we are talking about here is having hope and confidence in the promises of God, and in that hope, living in faith and patience until they are fulfilled. Kind of like a child whose father promises to bring her to Disneyland at the end of the school year, and then who waits patiently and expectantly through the long year, through the long days at school, waiting on her dad, trusting in her dad to fulfill the promise. There are long days of waiting and trusting. This is somewhat like the nature of the Christian life the life that God has given us. It is not only being consumed with the current moment, consumed with only what we can see with our eyes, with what we can grasp right now with our hands. It is living with hope for what is to come, with what God has promised, hoping God restoring all things, making us new and whole, and dwelling with us for all eternity. So it speaks of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises Faith and patience are required attributes for every Christian. We have to have faith and patience. Of course, we wish that this were not the case. We would like God to not only give us what he has promised us in the future, but to give us everything now, all of our wishes now. Satisfy us completely now. And he doesn't do that. And it is his grace that he doesn't. In his book, The Problem of Pain... C.S. Lewis writes, The settled happiness and security which we all desire, God withholds from us by the very nature of the world. But joy, pleasure, and merriment he has scattered broadcast. We are never safe, but we have plenty of fun and some ecstasy. It is not hard to see why. The security we crave would teach us to rest our hearts in this world and oppose an obstacle to our return to God. A few moments of happy love, a landscape, a symphony, a merry meeting with our friends, a bath, or a football match have no such tendency. Our Father refreshes us on the journey home with some pleasant ends, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. We all know this to be true, even as we wish it weren't at times and pretend that it's not, and we try to find complete satisfaction and security here and now. We mistakenly think that we could handle that, that we would still seek God just as much if he gave us all of our wishes here and now. But God calls us to faith and patience. And our passage today begins with an example of what that looks like. What does it look like to live with faith and and patience waiting for God's promises? So, we are given an example, Abraham, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Now here's the big idea I want you to see in this. We are given Abraham as an example what it means to patiently wait for God's promise. But the focus in these verses, and increasingly as we go through this, isn't Abraham. The focus isn't on Abraham's faith. That's there. But as you go through this, you see the point of this is not Abraham and his faith, but the faithfulness and trustworthiness of God. In other words... In trying to encourage and motivate us to live with hope and patience, we aren't told, hey, look at this guy and do like he's doing. At least that's not all we're told. That's not mainly what we're told. We're not told, look inside yourself and and find and work up the faith and hope that you need. You can do it. No, we are told, look at the God who makes great and wonderful promises and keeps those promises. Look at the God whose word will never fail, whose purposes will never be thwarted. Cling to him. Cling to his word. That is the basis of our hope as Christians. Four times throughout these verses, you'll find the word promise. God promised. God makes these promises. God made a promise to Abraham, as as you see referenced there. Beginning in Genesis 12, and then repeated several times throughout Genesis, God made a promise to Abraham saying, I will surely bless you, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And even though this is a promise made to a man thousands of years ago, it reveals to us a God who willingly commits himself to humanity. A God who willingly binds himself to working for the good of humanity. In in this promise, first spoken to Abraham and then repeated again and again and again throughout the Old Testament, God is committing to a grand and glorious purpose for all of creation, for all time, for all of history, to bless all nations, to bless the world through the offspring of Abraham. He's committing himself thousands of years in advance to send Jesus, the offspring of Abraham. He's committing himself to save us from our sins, from our hard-hearted rebellion, and to create a people for himself and to bring this people into a perfect world that displays in every imaginable way his goodness and his wisdom and his love and his worth. This promise to Abraham is a promise that guides all of history, that sustains all of history. Now, it's hard for us to comprehend how significant it is that we have a God who not only makes promises, but keeps promises, and how much stability that provides us. If God did not make promises, or if God made promises but couldn't be counted on to keep them, we would have no Basis for any hope or stability. We'd have no basis for any hope about the future or even about the present having any real purpose. Our lives would be utterly chaotic and meaningless if we did not have the promises of God. And of course, this is how much of the world lives. We use the word hope all the time. Everybody uses the word hope, everybody wants hope. But we don't always use it in the Christian sense we usually mean some kind of subjective feeling. I hope this happens. We really wish something to be true, or maybe we're just an optimistic person. We're hopeful. We say, I hope I get a good grade on this test. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I hope I get a raise. And sometimes there is justification for such hope. We look at the weather app, which is not very reliable, but gives us some sense of, of hope. Or perhaps we we know the kind of work we've done and the quality of our work, we know the policies of our employer, and we have legitimate reason for being hopeful to get a raise. But this kind of hope is very subjective. Somebody else may be in the same situation and not be very hopeful. It depends on how you interpret it, how how you feel that day. depends on your emotions. This kind of hope is very flimsy and fleeting. It's Up to you to produce and keep up. At best, it helps us put one foot in front of the other and can make it another day. At worst, it makes us very deluded. We don't actually see the word world accurately. An optimist is not always a realist. But this is not what Christian hope is like. It is not primarily about you to work up a sense of hopefulness. It is not... Simply on you to believe, in, whether in light of the evidence or in spite of the evidence, that you can be hopeful. Christian hope is grounded in, and flows from, the character of God. The God who is always making promises, and committing Himself to people, committing Himself to certain courses of action to bring about His purposes. And so this kind of hope is produced is when, when we turn our eyes to God and we behold Him and behold all that He is. And so let's look at the rest of this passage and notice where it turns our eyes and how it encourages us to have hope. Verse 16. For people swear by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. Confirmation. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, which is all who belong to Christ, which may be you, the unchangeable character of his purpose, that is, the fact that his purpose doesn't change, it's unchangeable, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge in Jesus might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, don't worry about that last section about Melchizedek. That's going to lead us into the next section, which we'll begin to cover next week. But do you see that the burden An emphasis and desire of this passage and the burden and emphasis of God himself is to demonstrate the certainty of his promises. To demonstrate that we can trust him. God is trying to help us see here and throughout his word that we can trust him. God doesn't lie. In fact, we're told it's impossible for God to lie. And yet even to put more certainty into his promise to Abraham, he made an oath. So if you go back to Genesis 22, where this comes from, God says, By myself I have sworn, I will surely bless you. So there was nothing greater for God to swear by, so he swore by himself. And so these are the two unchangeable things. God cannot lie, and God swears by himself. Who cannot lie? But this isn't ultimately or only for Abraham's sake. This work, God working in this way, isn't only about helping Abraham believe. Look at what it says God desires to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise. Now, the promise here is about God's plan to bless the world through Jesus. That's ultimately what the promise to Abraham leads to. And so, the heirs of this promise are all who come, all who are blessed by Jesus, all who come and find life and salvation in Jesus. That is you, if you've come to Christ in faith. And what does God intend to show us? The unchangeable character of his purpose so that we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Christian hope is first and foremost Beholding the God who is completely stable, consistent, trustworthy, and unchanging. The God whose purpose and will sustains all of history. Christian hope is first and foremost seeing that he can be trusted and taking him at his word. Again, it's like the daughter whose father says, I'm going to take you to Disneyland at the end of the school year. And all the daughter knows is that her father is trustworthy. He's never lied to her before. He's never promised to take her to Disneyland. This is a new promise, but her father is trustworthy. And so she banks on this. There's no reason to doubt him. She takes him at his word. Likewise, this passage, in attempting to strengthen us with hope, turns our attention not to some subjective interpretation or subjective feeling, some vague optimism, this is not simply like many of the sayings we hear. It'll all work out. Whatever will be, will be. Don't worry, be happy. Apart from God and his promises, you have no basis for believing those things. Rather, in attempting to strengthen us with hope, this passage turns our eyes to the absolutely trustworthiness of God. The sure and steadfast anchor of our soul is the character of God. And to be absolutely clear, this isn't only about you and I believing something to be true, but about it being true. This isn't just a psychological trick to improve your life. This is about aligning your life with reality. With the truth of God. Many other religions um, are ahistorical or not historical. That is, it doesn't really matter if they're true or not. What matters is only that you believe it, and then you find some benefit from that. But Christianity is not like that. Christianity is historical. Jesus came as a historical, physical man, and he historically died for our sins and our hope is based in historical reality there's a tendency to talk about christianity as a set of beliefs and practices and habits that matter most because they work they produce results they can really improve your life they can give you some hope and peace and comfort and of course all of that is true they do work they do do those things And things like hope and peace and comfort and joy really do and should attract us to Jesus. Jesus uses such things to draw us to himself. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See how good I am and come to me. But what matters more than that Christianity works is that it is true. If you come to Jesus only because you think he will improve your life, as a means to an end, but don't actually trust him as a real being. You haven't truly come to Jesus. And so we must always keep the benefits of Christ connected to Christ. They are only ours in him, through him. We will not find hope and peace and joy and life until unless we truly come to him and trust in him and give ourselves to him. But when we do, we will find a peace that passes understanding, a hope that endures through all things, a joy in all circumstances. So we must come to him. We must build the foundation of our life on him. Now, we've been talking about the certainty of our hope, that it's grounded in the character of God. But we haven't really talked much about the content of our hope. What has God actually promised us? What hope do we have? We'll look at the last couple of verses one more time from verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, what is this all about? Well, the curtain or veil in the temple, um, it's a reference to the, the veil in the temple that God had his people build. The curtain restricted access into the innermost part of the temple, the most holy place, which is where God's presence dwelt, where the, the high priest would come to make sacrifices for sin and God would, God would meet the high priest there. You might recall in one of the biblical accounts of Jesus' death, that at the moment of Jesus breathed his last and gave up his spirit, this curtain or veil was torn in two. And this historical happening reality is pointing to a spiritual, a wonderful spiritual reality, that access to the presence of God is open to all through the death of Jesus. Through the sin, the death of Jesus satisfies sin, atones for sin, and satisfies God's justice. So when it says that our hope enters into the inner place behind the curtain, that means that we have access to this presence of God here and now. We have assurance that our sins have been atoned for And that our God is with us and for us in Jesus. And so right now, if you are in Christ by faith, this means that that Jesus is walking with you as you go through your days. His presence is with you. Right now, this means that God has given you the promise that he will work all things together for your good. And in the future this means that he will dwell with you for all eternity in the new creation that you will live in the presence of God in a place with no more tears no more pain no more death but only joy and satisfaction. And this is all tied together and summed up later in Hebrews in chapter 10 it says therefore brothers For he who promised is faithful. Do you see how all of that exhortation there is grounded in that last phrase? For he who promised is faithful. That is the basis of our hope. That is what our eyes and hearts and minds need to cling to. That's what gives us real hope. For he who promised is faithful. It gives us hope when things seem hopeless as they often do. Hope when the promises of God seem unrealistic. When God seems distant and far away. When the facts and experiences of your life seem to contradict God's goodness. We can be honest, living with hope is not easy. It was not easy for Abraham. If you think about this story a little bit of Abraham, the most immediate promise that God made to Abraham was a son as an heir, whom, through whom God would accomplish all these other promises. Abraham received this promise of a son when he was 75 years old, and like you and I, he thought that was a little crazy, and then he had to wait 25 years for it to be fulfilled when he was 100 That wasn't easy, and he didn't always stay firm in his faith. When God seemed to not be coming through in the time that Abraham thought he would, Abraham took his wife's advice and bore a child with her servant. And then even after his son was born, God once again tested his faith by telling him to go sacrifice his son, which would have wiped out all of God's promises, seemingly. But Abraham believed God and God provided a ram as a substitute sacrifice at the last minute. And this is actually when God makes this promise referenced here in Hebrews. Likewise, your faith and hope and patience will be tested. We would not have all of these warnings and exhortations if that were not the case. And you already know this full well. Your faith is Faith and hope are tested. Perhaps they are even being tested today. You wonder if God is really good, if God is really there, if God is really going to come through, if living for God is worth it, if following His will is worth it. It doesn't seem so. It doesn't seem like it at times. And sometimes it seems like those who make no claim to God live carefree and happy and successful. And then we find that the little kingdom that we try to build for ourselves and the security and the happiness that we try to secure for ourselves doesn't pan out. And we find life disappointing and frustrating. God doesn't come through as we thought He would. Your life is not what you imagined it to be. And of course it is for these reasons that God gives us passages like these and he turns our eyes or he calls us to turn our eyes to his faithfulness and to the certainty of his promises. He promised to send a savior, Jesus and he sent a savior, Jesus to suffer and die in our place for our sin and to bring us back again. And just as he promised he will come again to raise us to new life, to live with him for eternity. We still live in patience and hope for what God has promised. God is quite clear that in this life, we must live with faith and patience. Not in ourselves, not as a general feeling, but in the sure and steadfast character of God which we are told is an anchor for our soul. If you think about the imagery of an anchor, what does an anchor do? An anchor keeps a ship steady in the midst of all of the the waves and the wind and the storms that come along. It keeps the ship from moving, but also from bashing into the rocks and, and hitting other things. The sure and steadfast character of God is meant to be the anchor for our soul as we go through this life and keep our eyes on what he has promised us. Let's pray.